Men may try to quench the Spirit's fire in the heart of a believer, but the fire of the Spirit will smolder. It will burn quietly underneath the soul and rise to spread again. Welcome to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire, author and founding senior pastor of the exciting Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Pastor Jeff is known for his heartfelt and practical proclamation of the scriptures. We are so glad you joined us today. So stay tuned as Pastor Jeff teaches, encourages, and challenges you from the Word of God. We all had a birthday, and so did the church. Hi, and welcome to Life Talk. I'm Jeff Wickwire, and thanks for joining us this time. Today we're continuing the new series, Acts, When God Gets Loose. You know, the Old Testament is filled with prophecies regarding the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And finally, He arrived in the fullness of time. And it was Jesus Himself that predicted the arrival of the church. He said, On this rock, I will build my church. On the day of Pentecost, the church Jesus predicted was born in a spectacular outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This amazing event launches the narrative of the book of Acts. So let's get right to part two of today's message, The Church's Birthday. While they had followed him, Jesus had talked about a spiritual kingdom. He said, the kingdom of God is actually, guys, within you. He had said in Luke 17, 21, but the disciples were still thinking about a secular kingdom. They wanted to see the overthrow of Rome. They wanted to see the establishment of the millennial kingdom. And they're saying, Lord, when is it going to happen? Because we're under this Roman tyranny. We want to know when it's going to happen. He said, it's not for you to know how long or when it's fully time for that to take place. And so they went out and they rocked the world for Jesus. Jesus lets them know that this is a divinely kept secret for now. Their focus and priority is to be on reaching the world. Now, look at verse 8. He tells them what they ought to be focused on. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Guys, you're going to reach the whole known world. And having said these things, Jesus lifted up his hands and he went home. Verse 9, when he had spoken these things while they watched. Everybody say while they watched. What we're seeing here is a type of the rapture. While they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Reminds me of Elijah. As Elisha watched the raptured Elijah, he watched until he could no longer see him in the sky. And then he went and started doing what Elijah anointed him to do. The disciples watched until their Lord was no longer visible. And then they went and did what he had anointed them to do. This was the end of an era, folks, when Jesus went home. What had begun in a cradle now ended in a cloud. God in Christ had come to earth. Now he had gone back to heaven. Verse 10, while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel 
who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you, everybody say the same Jesus. The same one that took off is coming back. Not another Jesus, the same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Well, where did he lift off from? He lifted off from the Mount of Olives. Here is an incredible promise already spoken by Christ himself. I'm coming back. And the angel said at the scene of his ascension, he's coming back the same way he left. He's coming back. You're going to see him in the clouds. Revelations 1 tells us, behold, every eye will see him in the clouds. Even those who pierced him will see him in the clouds. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn and wail because of him. He would return in the sky just as he had ascended to the sky. If you read the prophet Zechariah, he describes in chapter 14 how the Messiah will land on the Mount of Olives and it will cleave east to west. So in the same way, the same Jesus that lifted up into the clouds will return to the same mount in his second coming. He'll land on the Mount of Olives, and what a day that will be. What a day that will be. Now, the 11 disciples next went straight to Jerusalem in the upper room where the first Lord's Supper had taken place. Look at verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room. I'm so glad we've got an upper room here. They went up into the upper room. That's a good place to be. Where they were staying. Now, it's going to name them. Who went up into the upper room? Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, not the betrayer, another Judas. Look at verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. There they began to pray and wait for the promised Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. It's a good thing to wait for the Holy Spirit. It's a good thing to wait on God, to bless you, to speak to you, to fill you. Now, this is the company of 120 that in just 10 days' time would explode the biggest spiritual bombshell ever detonated on earth and change the course of history forever. Folks, it's one thing when they blasted the first nuclear bomb, but it's nothing like when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. The greatest power in all the world is spirit power, not physical power, not atomic power, not hydrogen power. It's spiritual power. Now, the remaining verses of 15 to 26 have to do with replacing the traitor Judas. It teaches us that nobody's irreplaceable, though to lose your calling is a tragedy. They cast lots, and a man named Matthias was chosen. And I'm just going to let you read it if you want to. I'm not going to go through all those verses. Now, let's go to chapter 2. And I want you to notice again the posture and the mindset of the 120. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, that means the kairos had arrived. They were all with one accord in one place. Now, notice they were in perfect unity. 
They are of one heart, one vision, one purpose, and one prayer. Oh, God, pour out your spirit. That's why the devil is always trying to bring division and discord to a body. Because if he can bring division and discord to a body, he can negate its spiritual influence and power and authority. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the day of Pentecost. day of Pentecost had already come 1,500 times, but now it was fully come. The reason God gave the day of Pentecost and all the symbolism and meaning behind it now has fully arrived. In Old Testament times on the day of Pentecost, the Jews took individual grains of corn, ground them into flour, added oil and leaven, and made two loaves of bread, all under the direction of God. The loaves were then offered to the Lord along with the sacrifice of seven lambs without blemish, one young bullock, and two rams for a burnt offering. Ten sacrifices in all to symbolize the perfection and completeness of Calvary because the day of Pentecost, as did all the Old Testament feasts, points forward to Jesus Christ. See, the whole Old Testament is only a sign pointing forward to the arrival of Messiah. The Old Testament looked forward to his arrival. The Gospels celebrated his arrival. And the epistles looked back on his arrival. But you find in biblical numerology that the number 10 represents completeness and perfection. So you had seven lambs, one young bullock, and two rams. Perfect, perfect number, perfection. Because Jesus giving his body on that cross, on that day, in the fullness of time, never needed to be done again. It was a perfect offering, a number 10 offering. And it brought perfect forgiveness, perfect redemption, perfect deliverance, perfect everything. And the day of Pentecost always fell on the first day of the week following the Sabbath, which illustrated for those that were gathered there the beginning of a brand new week, a new dispensation. And the oil, of course, symbolized the work of the Holy Spirit that happened on the day of Pentecost. So everything that God had wrapped in the day of Pentecost was realized and fulfilled when Jesus died on that cross. Now, verse 2 says, my favorite part, and suddenly, everybody say suddenly. suddenly. Say with me, you never know when God is going to move. Say with me, he moves when he wants to. Suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing, mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, first you have here an awesome sound. It wasn't an actual wind but it was the sound of a hurricane-like wind, a wind of great force. They had an audio vision. They heard something that was not there physically. It was the Holy Spirit. It came from the spirit world, but they heard it. Now, you take the wind, and believe me, God did not make it sound like a wind and remind us of a wind if he didn't have in mind what a wind symbolizes. Let me give you some ideas. The wind is one of many symbols for the Spirit of God in the Bible. Like the wind, he comes from heaven. He fills the world. He moves at will. 
He cannot be cornered or contained by any special interest group. You go out there and try to grab the wind tonight. Tell me if it does what you want. You can't grab the wind and you can't grab the Holy Spirit when he moves. He is sovereign. He can't be stopped by any man. Jesus said the wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Every Sunday we're seeing people born of the Spirit. They're walking in here. I watch them. I have a bird's eye view up here. And I can tell the ones who are visiting because they're looking around during worship sort of uh, like wooden Indians. Like, what have I gotten myself into? I can't believe that my friend dragged me here. Then during the message, they're trying not to listen, but they're listening anyway. And then when we stand up and I give the invitation, the wind moves. And you have no idea who he's going to touch or who he's not going to touch. But then I see people come down in the invitation and they're weeping. And I can tell they're thinking, I can't believe I'm in an altar in a church. Because the Holy Spirit moves like he wants to. And there's no explanation. Just suddenly somebody is convicted. Suddenly somebody is saved. Gives me Holy Ghost bumps just talking about it. I never cease to be amazed, really, seriously, at what we see every week when I see these people down here and how God can touch a stone-cold heart and break it right in a church service. So there was an awesome sound. Everybody say an awesome sound. But there was also an awesome sight. But then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, And one of those tongues sat upon each of them. So you had 120 cloven tongues of fire sitting on the heads of every person in that upper room. There was an awesome sound, but then there was an awesome sight. So they had an audio vision, and they also had a visual vision. I see it. I see spiritual fire. Now, do you think that God did that by mistake? Oh, by the way, First the sound, then the sight. Did you know this is God's order? We human beings would always rather see first, but God puts the hearing first. How'd you get saved? You heard. And then you acted on what you heard. And then you saw a changed life. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So first the sound, then the sight. Now, as with the wind, I believe also the fire was absolutely intentional. Because the fire is yet another symbol of the Spirit of God. Fire begins, think about it, with a small flame, but then what happens? It spreads. It can devour or consume a city, and the Spirit of God can totally envelop a city. I read a lot of church history. I read a lot of secular history. I like looking back because it helps me to understand what's happening now. But you read about the great revivals of the past, You take some of Finney's revivals, just for an instance, or Whitfield, any of them. But Charles Finney was a lawyer who got converted, and he became a revivalist. And he would send a praying man ahead of him into every town where he was going. And this man was a prayer warrior, and he would send him weeks ahead, and this man would get a room. And he would go into the room and he would shut himself in and he would pray over the coming revival that Finney was going to conduct. He would pray until he could say to Finney, 
we're ready to minister under an open heaven. Finney would come into town. He walked into a factory where a bunch of people were just working, a bunch of men just in there working. And he walked into the factory and just stood there after his prayer had been praying and the revival had commenced. He just stood there. And all of a sudden, all the men began to get agitated. They began to be unable to work at what they were doing or to focus on what they were doing. And finally, they stopped. And the manager walked up to him and said, Sir, you convict us of sin. Speak. And he shared the word, and that whole factory was swept by the Holy Spirit, and people got saved. Maybe the whole factory, I don't remember. But it was a huge move. You see, the Spirit of God, when He's on the loose, when He really moves, George Whitfield, the great preacher of the Great Awakening, he came across the ocean many times. He was an English preacher, but he traveled the ocean, which was a multi-week, difficult, arduous trip. He was not on the love boat, let me tell you. They were sailing through all kinds of weather and everything else. But when he landed on the early shores of early America, colonial America, when there was Boston and there was Philadelphia, and the Northeast had been developed, but the West wasn't developed at all. And he would land and walk on shore, and he would appoint a horseman to take the message that he was coming to a city like Boston. And he would ride, this horseman, he would ride, and he would just shout, Finney is coming, Finney is coming. And Finney would walk out at the given time to preach to a crowd of 20 and 30,000 people, pulled by the Spirit of God. And his voice could reach the end of the crowd with no speaker, no sound system. They didn't exist. And people would begin to call out on God, would fall on their faces, would cry out for mercy when the Spirit of God moved. I'm about to have a moment here. When the Spirit of God moved. Are you with me? Another time, George Whitfield, they kicked him out of all the churches. The Church of England was dead, dry. It was wasted. It was useless. And they let him preach one time. They never let him preach again because he said, you must be born again. You must be born again. And they kicked him out. He said, all right, you kick me out. I'm going into the fields. Nobody had ever done that. It was totally unknown to go to the fields. His friends, John and Charles Wesley, had never gone to the fields. Whitfield was the trailblazer who went into the fields for the first time. And he didn't know where else to go. So he walked up. You know, there was coal mines. And these poor men were dying in their 30s. These men were dying of coal lung disease. By the time they were in their early 30s, they weren't making it past their early 30s. Working in the coal mines, the song said. Their lungs were getting covered with black soot. And they were dying so young. And his heart went out to them. So he went to the hole that led down into the coal mine. And he shouted, I'll be preaching. And he gave the time. That day, I will be preaching the gospel of Christ. And he gave the time. And he walked away. 
He didn't see anybody. He just shot her down into the hole. He came back, and all he saw was a sea of coal-blackened faces. Oh, God. And he preached Jesus. And he wrote, I'll never forget, seeing the tears causing little white rivers going down their coal-blackened faces. And they received the gospel. And they were saved. And the Great Awakening shook England and shook early America. I've always believed there would have been no America, no constitution like we know it, if not for the Great Awakening that preceded it. I didn't mean to digress into all of that, but don't those stories touch you? I mean, when the Spirit of God moves... So back to the fire. There's a judgment element associated with fire. The lost will spend eternity in a lake of fire. Fire also illuminates. For centuries, man used fire to see at night. No other way he could see. It also warms us. We can penetrate very icy, cold places as long as we have the warmth of fire. It smolders. I like this one. It smolders. Men may try to quench the Spirit's fire in the heart of a believer as do circumstances, as do trials, as do troubles, as do tribulations. But the fire of the Spirit will smolder. It will burn quietly underneath the soul and rise to spread again. So all these beautiful pictures or types are prophetic of what the Spirit of God would do in and through the church. So we have with Pentecost, symbolic wind, symbolic fire to usher in a new age and a change in dispensation. The day of Pentecost was the church's birthday. It heralded the death of the old ritual Jewish Pentecost and the birth of the church of God. Well, what an exciting time in history it was when the church was birthed into the world. The world would never be the same again, that's for sure. I hope you're encouraged to not only travel through the book of Acts with us, but to realize that what happened 21 centuries ago impacts your life so powerfully today. And before I go, let me encourage you to take advantage of our many helpful resources available for you on our Life Talk website. There, you'll discover our large archive of former Life Talk messages, several helpful books I've written, and other materials you'll want to add to your Christian library. Just go to lifetalkradio.us. That's lifetalkradio.us. Join me again next time as we continue our brand new series called Acts, When God Gets Loose. Until then, may God bless you richly is my prayer. Hi, this is Pastor Jeff. You know, every time God uses the ministry of Life Talk to transform a life by the power of Jesus Christ, it's because somebody like you gave financially and helped make it possible. Life Talk's daily program is listener supported, so if you're interested in supporting this ministry, call toll free 877 884 3111. 
That's 877-884-3111. Or visit us online at lifetalkradio.us and make a donation to empower Life Talk to continue transforming lives with the power of the gospel. Call 877-884-3111 or go online to lifetalkradio.us and give your best gift today. The Church's Birthday is the first message of Pastor Jeff's new series, Acts, When God Gets Loose. You can own a copy of this 19 CD set for just $95 plus shipping. Log on to lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. Get your copy of today's message for just $5 or purchase the entire series, Acts, When God Gets Loose, for only $95 plus shipping by logging on to lifetalkradio.us or calling us toll-free at 877-884-3111 for more information. You've been listening to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire. To find out more about Dr. Wickwire's ministry and Turning Point Church, visit us at lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111. And as a reminder, Life Talk is a listener-supported ministry. We exist to bring God's Word to thousands of people in your area on this great station. So your prayers and financial support go a long way in helping us with this endeavor. Please prayerfully consider helping us. Thanks again for listening today, and we look forward to meeting with you once again on our next Life Talk broadcast.